Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Acts. The New Testament book of Acts in Acts chapter number 19. Acts chapter number 19. We'll be starting our first regular series uh, next week of the new year. But before we hit there, we just want to hit a couple different messages to prep us up, to prepare us for this next year, to understand that God wants to use local churches like ours to get his world, his work accomplished. And one of the things is you try to learn a little bit more about your pastor, that you should know things about your pastor. You should know his favorite song. You should know your pastor's life verse. You should also know his ministry passage. What do we mean by this? Well, in the book of Acts chapter number 19, we have the apostle Paul who's on one of his missionary journeys and he comes into a place called Ephesus. And in this city, he begins to establish a local church and begins to work in a ministry and sees amazing things happen. And if there would be one passage in the Bible that I believe the Lord has just uh, placed for what God would have me to do and how God would like us, me as the pastor, to lead the Riverview Baptist Church, we would see that in the book of Acts chapter number 19. And so if you wouldn't mind, look with me in book of Acts chapter 19. Let's begin together in verse number one. The book of Acts chapter 19 in verse number one. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. He said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that should believe on him, we should come after him that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. And he came, <clears throat> and he went into the synagogue, and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading of the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when the diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and 
and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priest, which did so. And the evil spirit said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped upon them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they that fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which use curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Acts in chapter number 19? The book of Acts in chapter number 19, and notice a phrase that we find in the book of Acts 19 in verse number 9. The book of Acts chapter 19 in verse 9, notice the last phrase, the school of one Tyrannus. The school of one Tyrannus. And with the Lord's help, we want to hit this idea, the school of one Tyrannus, and also answer this question or see this idea, the benefits of training people for the ministry. The benefits of training people for the ministry. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, we're just asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy, that you would give us a great understanding, Lord, of this passage of what is going on, that you could not only relate it to what was happening then, but we could apply it to where we are here and now, and that you would show us how important it is to actively, on purpose, train men and women, boys and girls, to serve you, to serve in the ministry in a systematic, purposeful way. I'm asking that you would just give us wisdom, give us discernment, help things to be done decently in order, and just be able to be able to allow us to preach the Bible correctly. Now, again, this is a favorite passage of mine and an important passage of mine. But because of that, there's such a danger of me trying to preach it in my own strength, my own intellect, and my own desire. So the best I know how, I surrender all of those things to you and just ask that you fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose of you getting your own work and your own desires accomplished through your precious word and that you would get the glory and honor for the things that are done. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage is very important because there's a lot of things that are happening. If we could just kind of summarize immediately what's going on is that the Apostle Paul had stopped... (laughs) 
and went to the city of Ephesus. He just finished spending one and a half years in the city of Corinth and now has moved on to start another ministry, start another church to go ahead and find people to go win to the Lord to disciple them and to train them. And he finds his way into the city of Ephesus. There at the city of Ephesus, God blessed him. He had started at the synagogues, which was his custom to do. And as he began to dispute daily and began to talk with the people about Christ and to speak of that way. In fact, you'll notice that phrase all throughout the book of Acts. Whenever you see that, for example, notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number nine. But when the diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way. When you see that phrase, that way or the way inside of the book of Acts, that was the early way of describing Christianity that Jesus had said in John 14 in verse six, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man come to the father, but by me. And so in the first century, in the early days of the church, that people would often say those are followers of the way they taught of that way. That was their way of saying that they were Christians who are following after Christ. Remember, they weren't even called Christians till much later after this point that here they were just followers of that way. So the apostle Paul went and started the synagogues to people that were familiar with the Old Testament scriptures that had the promises of the Messiah and began to try to talk and dispute and speak with them to try to persuade them that Jesus was the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. When finally the Jewish people rejected Paul, Paul decided instead of leaving town, he decided that he was going to go next door and next door they had a meeting hall, a school of one Tyrannus. And there the apostle Paul set up shop and began to establish an early form of a Bible institute where day by day the apostle Paul taught in the school of one Tyrannus. And for the space of Two years, he actively trained men and women for the ministry. And as he actively trained men and women for the ministry, these people would take what Paul taught them and they would go throughout the area and begin to teach other people the very same thing. And so with this principle, we're going to go and dive through this passage in specific, but we're going to ask ourselves the question, what are the benefits of training men and women for the ministry? And we're going to see these benefits listed out in the book of Acts, which each one of these events that occur in Acts chapter 19. The very first benefit that we see of training men and women for the ministry is that we understand that people need to be taught doctrine. People need to be taught doctrine. The idea of doctrine is our belief and teachings that people need to be taught specifically and on purpose. What do we believe and why do we believe it? There is a big emphasis in modern day churches that they don't want to teach doctrine. They want to turn more to self-help. We want to show you how to keep your smile, how to pick yourself up by the bootstraps, how to have a good day, how to have all of this. And they've shied away from teaching Bible doctrine. And because people have not been taught doctrine, they do not know what they believe or why they believe it. People are more easily confused and more easily deceived because they don't know what the Bible has to say. We're going to see this case in point 
here in the first part of Acts chapter 19 that we start off with that people need to be taught doctrine. So the apostle Paul travels from Corinth and he goes through the upper coast to the city of Ephesus. Notice with me in Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. And he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So Paul comes up to these people that are clearly believers. What do we mean by this? That they came to the place where they had trusted God's promise of, a sal- of salvation through a Redeemer, through the Messiah. That they were clearly had a changed life by their uh, manner, by their things. So Paul meets some saved people that are clearly saved. And because they're acting saved and because they're behaving saved, he asks them a doctrinal question. Hey, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? And they kind of looked at him blankly. You notice that when Paul asked them this question, he was expecting a yes or no answer. Just like when we ask people, are you 100% sure if you die today, you're going to heaven? We are expecting a yes or no answer. If someone says, well, I'm 50%, then the answer is no. That you can know without a doubt that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. This passage teaches us the same thing about being filled with the Holy Spirit. That you can know for sure that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the Apostle Paul asks these gentlemen, they're clearly believers, and says, do you know for sure? Uh, Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you heard? And they said, we haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit. What, What is this? And the Apostle Paul takes a step back. Whoa, well, wait a second. There's something wrong here. These people don't know about the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, we know that the Holy Spirit is a very important teaching. That the Holy Spirit is God. He's not an, um, a separate entity. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit's not a power or a figment. He is God. We're in a world that wants to use personal pronouns. Well, the Holy Spirit has a personal pronoun. It is he, it, not an it. It is a he. It is a him. It is a real life person because the Holy Spirit is God. We don't believe in what we would say a trinity. We believe in a triune God. One God, three aspects of the same God. The Holy Spirit is a very important teaching. And being filled with the Holy Spirit carries the idea that we are dead to self, surrendered to God, and God has control of us, which is very important to the life of a believer. Every believer needs to know something about the Holy Spirit and know correct doctrine. Again, if I could make a modern day observation, most churches do not know anything about the Holy Spirit and they, those that do claim to know about the Holy Spirit have wrong doctrine concerning the Holy Spirit. We need to know what the Bible has to say concerning the teaching, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So he comes up, asks them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they go, 
we don't know what you're talking about. We haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul backs up and begins to follow through and ask them about their salvation and how they came to know the Lord. Verse number three, and he said unto them, unto wit, what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. So what we see is we're tracing this out. Now remember, this is early inside of the church. What's the difference between John's baptism and believer's baptism? That's a very important question. John's baptism was completely different in this. John taught correctly that we needed to repent. In fact, if you look at John's message and the message of Jesus, it was the same one. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. They did not have different messages. Their message is that you are a sinner. Because of your sin you've offended a holy righteous God. And you deserve judgment. But God provided himself a lamb. And that this lamb was going to take away your sins. That's exactly what John taught. Now when people got saved... They, uh, during um, John's day, he would baptize them. Now, John's baptism was for this, that it would first of all uh, have people understand uh, that they need to repent and they're showing a picture that they repented by going into the water that didn't save them, that didn't wash away their sins and being willing to be dunked by obedience. But John was looking for the Messiah because he was told that when he baptizes the Messiah that the Holy Spirit who is God was going to come down and was going to show a sign that this was God. So John's baptizing like this. Is this it? Nope, not it. Is this it? Nope, not it. His wasn't for the idea of joining a church or other thing. It was for the idea of obedience. So later on as the church is established, we now have the idea of believer's baptism. The idea of believer's baptism has a different purpose. The believer's baptism is a purpose of two things. To First of all, to show that I am identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ and his doctrine. For example, why did Jesus get baptized by John? Was it because he needed to get saved? Was it because he needed to wash away his sins? Or was it to confess that he was a sinner who needed to get right with God? Then why did Jesus get baptized? To identify with John's doctrine. So now when someone gets baptized, they're identified with Jesus' doctrine, with the doctrine of that local church, and also for the purpose of obedience. When Jesus went to get baptized, John said, no, 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 not me. And Jesus answered him and said, this must be done to fulfill all righteousness, meaning I'm doing this out of obedience. So believer's baptism, someone gets baptized in order, uh, not in order to get saved, but to show that they have accepted Christ as a public confession and identification and obedience to what God has given us to do. So there was a difference between John's baptism and the believer's baptism. So Paul goes up and says, what were you baptized from? He was sensing that they weren't taught Bible doctrine quite yet. Oh, we get baptized by John. There we go. So what had happened is that these guys had went to Jerusalem. Remember, they're not in Jerusalem now. They're not in Israel now. They are in Ephesus, a completely different part of the world. 
And he goes, sees these people who are actually acting like believers because they are believers that accepted God's promises, but they hadn't been taught doctrine. Paul goes back, identifies that they hadn't been taught doctrine. These people had got, went, heard uh, John preach, got baptized, then went home. They didn't stay around to hear about Jesus getting saved or Jesus dying on the cross. They didn't hear about any of that. So they are lacking information. They just trusted in the promise that was told to them. They had believed. Now Paul gets to teach them more doctrine and teach them. And then they got baptized. Verse number four. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they shall believe on him that shall come after, that is Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So notice, now they're getting baptized because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gives them more perfected doctrine. Now we're presuming that Paul gives them more teaching than this. The book of Acts is just summarizing what just happened here. But Paul took time to teach them more about Christ and who Christ was. So now they're getting baptized in obedience to Christ and identifying with him. Verse 6, and when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So there was evidence in this early days as a sign gift that this was approved and that of God and that they understood what had happened, that this um, Holy Spirit was evidence that the teaching of Christ and the teaching of this local church was important. They're teaching doctrine. So in these seven verses, he's taught them about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of church, and the doctrine of baptism. And just that's four doctrines right then, things that they did not know. What is one of the benefits of training men and women for the ministry? It is for the purpose that people need to be taught doctrine. People need to know what they believe and why they believe it. And as we are actively teaching people what they believe and why they believe it, the church gets stronger because more people know. You should not be dependent on pastor's belief system. You should know for yourself what does the Bible say. You should know what you believe for yourself because of what the Bible said, not because the pastor says it or because the church says it. You need to know, and people don't know unless they are taught. And so to be able to have a place where we're actively training men and women for the ministry, as a benefit, more and more people will know doctrine for themselves. Does that make sense? So one of the first benefits that we see in Acts chapter 19 of training men and women for the ministry is that people need to be taught doctrine. As we go on, we see something else. What is another benefit of training men and women for the ministry? We also understand that it helps us to obey the great commission to reach every creature. It helps us to obey the great commission to reach every creature. Notice with me again in verse number eight. And he, that's Paul, went to the synagogue and spoke, spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. So again, Paul is trying to preach to them the gospel. He is disputing. He's answering questions. He's persuading. He's trying to encourage them to make a decision. Verse number nine. 
Uh, by the way, in verse 8, what is he just persuading and disputing? The things concerning the kingdom of God, of what God is doing here on this earth. Verse number 9, but when thy diverse, meaning the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way of Christianity, of the, the kingdom of God, of the way that Jesus, uh, that Paul is teaching Jesus, when they spake evil of that way before the multitude, it wasn't just private, but publicly, he departed from them and separated the disciples. So those, during the space of three years, there were several people who came to know Christ as their savior. He separated those people from the Hebrews and said, we're going to go start a local church. We're going to train you guys up and I'm going to teach you. So he took these disciples, separated them out, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. Who is he disputing daily? Who is he teaching? This idea of disputing here carries the idea of, of lecturing, of teaching, of answering their questions. Who is he teaching? He's not teaching the Jewish people who rejected. He's teaching the disciples. Those who came to know Christ as their savior in Ephesus during those three years, separated them out and began to actively train them for the ministry daily answering their questions. Now notice it's not just Sunday morning. People are not learning good doctrine if all they do is come on Sunday morning. They are on purpose coming daily to learn more about the word of God. There is so much more to learn, so much more to perfect, so much more to understand so we can be obedient. And as Paul is teaching them to obey, notice in verse 10, and this continued uh, by the space of two years, so that they that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So notice this. So Paul is in one location. He's in Ephesus. And in two years time, he is teaching people daily inside of the school of one Tyrannus about following after Christ. These people would take what Paul taught and they went and spread out. The Bible here says Asia. Asia here, what it's referring to is Asia Minor, or as we know it in modern times, Turkey. The country of Turkey is approximately the size of Wisconsin. So think about this. There were some people that got saved. Paul began to teach them, actively training them in the ministry to teach them doctrine, to teach them what they believe, to teach them to follow the Lord. These people then went out and went and began to teach other people. They started churches so that by the time of two years passed, an area the size of Wisconsin, every person inside of that region heard the gospel. doesn't mean that everyone got saved, but everyone heard the gospel. Why? Because of the miracle of multiplication. One person can't do it by themselves. That's why we teach people the ministry. If you're just expecting your pastor to do all the work, then all we're having is addition. Because I see one person, we add, we see one person, add. But God doesn't do addition. He does multiplication. That's how he's designed things to work. And as more and more people are taught the gospel, taught how to go witness, taught how to disciple, this began to spread out. During this time, not only did the, uh, the place the size of Wisconsin, 
every person heard the gospel. Again, Paul's still in Ephesus. Other people are going out doing the work of the ministry. Other people are going out witnessing. Other people are going out uh, spreading out tracts and witnessing to people. But in addition, you had other churches that were started. For example, the churches of Colossae, Laodicea, and Heriopolis were started. Paul didn't start those churches. Those churches were started by people who came to Paul, learned in that Bible Institute, and went and started churches in each of those towns. What happens when we start training men and women for the ministry? The Great Commission gets to be accomplished. That in one location as we're actively training men and women for the ministry, those same men and women are going to go out and start telling others. Those same men and women are going to go out and in our own region start other churches. Wouldn't that be wonderful to have a hundred churches spring out from this church? Because we trained people and they took it seriously and went out. This is part of why it's important to train men and women for the ministry. To be able to see the accomplishment of the Great Commission. That God expects us to accomplish the Great Commission each and every generation. And it happened because Paul was specifically teaching people the word of God. Teaching them doctrine. Teaching them how to obey the Great Commission. How to depend upon the Holy Spirit. And watching God use those people in that entire region. Don't we want Wisconsin one to the Lord? It can be done. Now, notice the time frame. For them, it was two years. We got catching up to do. But can God do it? Absolutely. You said, but pastor, you're not Paul. I know I don't have to be Paul, but God's still God. We follow the pattern of actively training men and women for the ministry and letting them go out and through the miracle of multiplication, the entire state can hear the gospel. Through the miracle of multiplication, multiple churches can be started from the influence that we have here. That would be wonderful. This is on purpose working and training men and women for the ministry. Notice this. What is other benefits of training people for the ministry that we understand that people need to be taught doctrine? We understand that it helps us to accomplish the Great Commission. We also see that it helps people prepare for the ministry. It helps people prepare for the ministry. If you've never written down this statement, I don't think I've said it in quite a while. Maybe you could write this out now. The call to preach is a call to prepare. The call to ministry is a call to prepare. So many people just get so excited that they try to charge hell with a squirt gun. And then they wonder why they're ineffective and things aren't being done. That if you want to be used of God, there is a preparation period. It is never wasted time to stop and sharpen your axe. This has to be a sharpening phase, a preparation phase. What we see here in the next uh, illustration, the next narrative inside of Ephesus is a group of people that did not take time to prepare, but thought they could do it themselves in their own strength and their own power. And we see how horribly bad they fail. Notice what happens, if you don't mind, in verse number 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews exorcist took upon them. Notice that phrase. They took upon them, meaning they took responsibility for themselves without having clearance, without having training. They thought they were good enough to do it. They took upon themselves 
took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. So what happens is that these seven Jews go out and they find someone who's demon possessed. There was a lot of demon possession at the world. That was very clear. Hey man, we're going to show, we, we don't need to prepare. We've got this. We've heard that, you know, as long as you call upon Jesus, that, that's all you need. So they get the guy and you can imagine they, they get the biggest and baddest one. Maybe they get one that's medium sized and they all surround him. There's seven of them, one demon possessed guy, seven of them. And they go, we adjure you, be healed by the name of Jesus. And whatever they're doing, they, they think they've got this. They've got the words right. They've got the posture right. Uh, we don't need to go to class. We don't need to go to doctrine. Well, all we need, we've got this. We've got our feelings. I feel like this is the right thing to do. And we can see feelings is not going to help them any. And so they go, we adjure you by the name of Jesus. And this demon-possessed guy kind of looks at them and says, listen, notice what he says. This is a scary verse, by the way. Verse 15, and the evil spirit said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? Think about this. I know everyone thinks that, you know, oh, Satan's fighting against me. You know, Satan even doesn't even know you exist. And the demons don't even know you exist. Until you even learn how to die to self, you haven't made any waves spiritually. <laughs> You're just doing it your own self and you haven't even gotten the spiritual force's attention. You're a nobody. You imagine how embarrassing that is when the demon goes, hey, listen, I know who Jesus is and I know who Paul is and I don't want to mess with Paul either. But you punks, I don't even know who in the world you are. Ah, but you want to meet me? Here we go. These people thought they had it. I don't need to prepare. I don't need to go to that school. Paul could have that school. We don't need to go through those classes. We got things ourselves. And they did not. So they surround the guy, seven of them, one demon-possessed guy. They circle around him. They chant. They they slap him in the forehead. They do whatever they did at the time. The guy looks at him and says, I know who Jesus is. Know who Paul is. No clue who you are. You're not even on my radar and I'm not even an upper level demon. I'm a little pipsqueak demon and I don't know who you are. You're not on my radar. You're not important enough to know. So verse 16, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them. Um, in verse number 16 in Greek, that means that he laid the smack down on them. He whooped the tar out of them. He beat them up. This one guy beats up seven guys all at once and prevailed against them. That means he won the fight so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Notice that naked and wounded. They had their clothes, they got beat up so badly that this demon ripped their clothes off to embarrass them, to show that they were nothing. They were nothing. And they ran out of that house embarrassed. By the way, it was considered a very public humiliation shame to go out naked. Not like our society today, but it was a very big deal. They were humiliated. They were beat up. Now, 
all start come stemming from the idea that I don't need to go get taught. I don't need to go to college. I don't need a Bible. I don't need someone to teach me. I've got this. I'm good enough by myself. I've got this handled. And they did not. And they got, they got beat up. They got taken care of. We could see that actively training men and women for the ministry helps prepare people for the ministry. People need a preparation time. There's not a single person who gets saved and is automatically prepared for the ministry. Not a single person. In fact, I doubt if many 20-year-olds who go through Bible college is prepared for the ministry. There, there's an idea that there's a maturing process. There's a learning process. There's a preparing process. And you are not uh, um, you are not able on your own. You need someone to teach you, to train you, so you don't have to make those mistakes to do things correctly. As we go on, what else happens when a church is actively training men and women for the ministry? We see there's another thing here. It helps clean out the lives of believers. It helps clean out the lives of believers. Notice with me in verse 17. And this, what was this? This incident with these punks who thought they could do it by themselves. This was known to the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Verse 17, how does that fit in? Well, when these little guys thought they can do it themselves and all they had to do was say in the name of Jesus Christ and say some magic words and it didn't work, they realized what Paul was doing inside of the school of one Tyrannus was life-changing. There was something to it. There was substance to it. There was fruit from it. That wasn't these young punks running around doing nothing. They were watching the people getting trained and said, there's something real to this. And a great fear fell upon them because after all, the demon said, hey, I know who Jesus is and I know who Paul is. I don't know who you punks are. Well, they said, well, when Paul has made so many ripples that the spiritual world knows who Paul is, there's something to it. There is a spiritual world, world go, uh, going on around us that most people are ignorant of. But they understood that Paul was on the winning side. So what did they do? Verse number 18. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. So notice this. Many that believed. So what we have is Christians they didn't just get saved. These were Christians who were already saved and they came and confessed their deeds. What are they confessing? Notice with me in verse 19. Many of them also which used curious arts. If you've never been defined curious arts, it's magic. Magic was a very big deal in the society of the ancient world. By the way, magic is a very big deal in our current society. People are curious about the supernatural. They're curious about magic things. They're curious about Harry Potter. They're curious about these other different things. And many of them which use curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men and counted the price of them and found it 50,000 
pieces of silver. So what happened because of this, they realized that there's a spiritual world that is very, very real. And they were convicted and they feared God and they went home and cleaned house. You know what happens when we actively start training men and women for the ministry? There becomes a purifying effect that people actually go home and get rid of stuff they needed to get rid of. You say, well, I don't have any satanic stuff. Oh yeah, do you still got some rock and roll music? Do you have Elvis Presley singing the hymns? That's not good. What about your DVD collection? Magic there? What about the books that you read, the books that you collected? You understand what keeps a church from having the spiritual power of God when we try to have both worlds. Well, we're not dedicated to God, we still think we could have this other secular world. And we realize that they are opposed to each other. And they were convicted and they cleaned house and they got rid of stuff. And they got rid of 50,000 pieces of silver. Now I understand when you read figures like this, it doesn't prevail into our current monetary system. So let me translate this for you. Someone calculated, and this would be the price of $4 million dollars. In a bonfire. Four million dollars put in a big bonfire. What a waste. No, it's cleaning house. Honoring God. Cleaning house. You know, a healthy life of a church is when God convicts a church and stirs a church. They actually have a bonfire. Clean house. I'll always remember the bonfire we had in Phoenix. And I always remember the bonfire of my junk getting burnt in that thing. And then I remember the inspector saying we can't be burning all these VHS cassettes because, you know, it's back smoke. And so, but um, we had another trash barrel fire for magazines. You would be surprised what magazines got thrown in there from the deacons, from the trustees, from the good ladies. Uh, what happens when a church starts getting stirred up for the Lord and they start seeing spiritual battles won? is that a good life of a church is thing, they have a cleaning house day where they said, go bring all your stuff and we're going to put it in a big dumpster and we're getting rid of it all. That helps a church. But remember that this is an effect, not a cause. What caused it? People being trained actively inside of a church. And it had a rippling effect that people realized Harry Potter is not good. Realizing that these things that you play with these crystals, your horoscopes, your other things, they are part of a spiritual world and they keep you from having the power of God. Don't you need spiritual victories in your life? When we realize that these things hold back spiritual victories and then we clean it out, we see amazing things happen. But it started with the teaching of God's word and an active training way of training men and women for the ministry. Someone calculated that it would collectively for that church and the size of its church, that $4 million worth of stuff, that it would have caused them collectively, they would have spent 136 years working for that stuff that was burnt up. Isn't it amazing what we have collected in our houses? And if we calculated all the junk that we had and got rid of it, you'd be surprised how much money we've wasted on junk. 
It's kind of convicting. They're looking, that's $4 million worth of stuff we just hauled to the trash. That's $4 million that could have been used for something else for the Lord. 136 years of work being dragged away. I don't know about you, but I want to see that paycheck used for something. 136 years of paycheck hauled away. That's a big deal. When people are being taught, actively taught, there's a cleaning out that happens in a church. Cleans out the lives of the believer to get rid of that stuff. What do we understand? That biblical preaching causes people to make a decision. That in good churches like this that are being taught with the Bible, what's going to happen is that people have to make a decision. I like to say it's the rocking the boat and they're either going to get rocked in or rocked out. But they make a decision. And we've seen that throughout the years. People make a decision. They fall in or fall out. You say, is falling out bad? Well, I'm sorry that they are, but that's a natural conclusion of Bible preaching, a Bible teaching, is that they have to come to the place where they decide, am I all in or am I not? When you're all in, there's a life cleansing. There's a cleaning out. When you're all in. Someone said, if you just ride the fence long enough, all you get is torn britches. Bible preaching makes you choose a side. Whose side are you on? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And this church collectively made a decision that they were going to serve the Lord. And they got rid of all that stuff. What else happens when we actively train men and women for the ministry? We actively teach people doctrine. We actively are training people to complete the Great Commission. What else happens? We also understand that it affects the community for God's glory. It affects the community for God's glory. The constant state of Bible preaching multiplying more and more as it goes out. In fact, notice with me verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. What is uh, this grew the word of God? Does that mean that more and more the word of God's going out? No, the multiplying of God's word is that more people knew the word of God for themselves. And notice this, and prevailed. The word of God got victory in their lives. And when a whole group of people have victory in their lives and the power of God, the rest of the community starts to get affected. Well, in this, they had what was called the Temple of Diana. Inside of the Ephesus, there was a horrible place called the Temple of Diana. Diana was one of the fertility goddesses within the Greek and Roman pantheon. In, in order to worship Diana, they would have temple prostitutes. And you would hire a temple prostitute as an offering and go commit different acts and quote unquote worship to Diana. In addition, because of the temple of Diana was so sacred that they actually made it a one mile radius, if I remember correctly, where police could not arrest anyone that was within that, that radius of Diana. So guess who's all hanging out by Diana? All the bad people. Now, because of this, they would have people that would travel from all over the world to come and see this temple of Diana. They would have people that would come from all over the world to come and to worship at Diana. This was the travel spot where everyone came to go worship their favorite team. 
where they came to Lambeau Field. I mean, the Temple of Diana. And they would come and there they would sell little trinkets. I was there at the Temple of Diana, my big G. And they could go ahead and show it off. Look, I was there. I got my, my merchandise. There was a big merchandising thing. And so people went and they would worship and they would get their trinkets and come home. But the Apostle Paul started teaching. And not just starting a church, but actively began to teach at a Bible institute. And remember that all of Asia heard the gospel. Can you imagine how many people in Ephesus heard the gospel? Notice with me in verse 26. We're going to get right in the middle of it, but notice this. So the silversmiths get together and they're upset. Why are they upset? <laughs> because nobody's coming to the temple of Diana anymore. All these people got saved and convicted. Now no one's showing up on Sunday to go up to their big stadium. I mean, going up to the temple of Diana. And now, because no one's coming to the temple of Diana, no one's buying their merchandise. So they have this big meeting about Paul and the church and what we're going to do about it. And they're all upset because they're no money's on, on merchandise. No one's buying the stuff anymore. Notice what they say about Paul. Verse 26. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia. All of Wisconsin, nobody comes to Lambeau Field anymore. I mean, sorry, I'm going to go to context. Nobody in Asia comes to the Temple of Diana anymore. They're all convinced that on Sundays you should be in church. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone in Ephesus, almost all throughout Asia, this Paul, this Paul has persuaded and turned away much people saying, they be no gods which are made but with hands, so that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but almost that all the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. So notice, they have a big meeting. They're talking about Paul. Paul's not there. And in this meeting, they said, this Paul... Now, did Paul individually go tell everyone about the Lord? No. But he's training people and they're going out and telling everybody. And so not only in Green Bay, but all of Wisconsin, not only in Ephesus, but all of Asia Minor, nobody is coming and watching the path. I mean, going to the Temple of Diana. You almost see why it's a ministry passage for me now. Wouldn't that be a great miracle? Here, now they're having a big meeting. What are we going to do? Nobody's worshiping the Packers any. I mean, nobody's worshiping Diana anymore. Their big religion is gone. They're going to church. They don't care. They're not buying merchandise anymore. I mean, the whole world comes to worship. And now they're not coming anymore. So what do they do? Verse number uh, 28, and when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, go pack, go, go pack. I mean, great is Diana of Ephesus. And the whole city was filled with confusion. They're chanting as loud as they can. Their big saying for their team, great is the temple of Diana. They go for this for like two hours saying it out loud. Now pause. Is there enough crazy Green Bay Packer fans that for two hours straight they go, go pack, go? Yeah. 
Absolutely. They're saying their battle cry. They're all upset. And they're stirring up and the whole city's upset. Now they're starting to act. Oh man, they got this mob worked up. Now they're going to go find Paul. If we find Paul, we're going to go kill him. They're upset. This mob, their religion is messed up. Nobody's showing up to the big stadium anymore. Nobody's showing. It's empty ghost town. Everybody's in church. Their livelihood. You start messing with people's money, they get upset. Do you think that they're really worried about Diana? No, they're worried about their money going gone. Nobody's showing up. Nobody's going. No tickets are being sold. Nobody's worshiping. And they're all upset and they're mad. So now they get this big mob. Now, Paul's willing to go face the mob. But luckily, some church people grabbed aside and said, no, absolutely not. They had to make Paul leave Ephesus because they knew he was a target now. You said, but this doesn't sound like the fun part of ministry. Oh, I'd say, wouldn't it be wonderful if so many people got saved in this area? They'd have to close down. And I'm not against the Packers. You understand. I understand what they do, but it's a big religion here. Wouldn't it be wonderful instead of talking about Green Bay all the time, they'd be talking about Jesus Christ and how they got saved and what's going on. And wouldn't that be wonderful? Could God do it? I know this is impossible task, but this is what happens when we start training men and women for the ministry. Actively training and preparing people to serve God. So it's just not one or two people that's doing all the work, but everyone has their job to do. What amazing benefits happen when we are actively training men and women for the ministry? What happens? Well, people start to know doctrine for themselves. What happens is that the Great Commission is being accomplished. What happens? People are being prepared to be effective inside of the ministry. What happens? The lives of believers get cleaned out. Churches become stronger. What happens? It affects the community for God's glory. The one thing, without a doubt, that God has given for me to do is to train men and women for the ministry. Now, God has placed me to be pastor here in order to get that accomplished. And so if you're here, you know what? You're along for the ride. Might as well get involved with what God is already planning on doing. The greatest days are still ahead. This is a meaningful passage for me because I can see this. This could be a reality. But where does it start with? Now as we've stabilized our church, we already have discipleship going on. We have the evening school of the Bible going on. Our next stage is actively training people for the ministry and watching that build up and watch more people going out. More people telling about the Lord. More people discipling. More Bible studies being stuff. It will make an impact. You're at ground zero right now. But without a doubt, I believe that this is what God wants to do through this local church. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be something worth being a part of? Wouldn't it be something to say, Lord, what role do you want me to have in this? What is it that you would have me to do? Because God has something for every one of us. This can't be one person job. This is a local church job. 
as we're actively training men and women for the ministry, seeing missionaries get trained and going around the world, seeing pastors get trained, to see good church people, Sunday school teachers, disciplers get trained so they can be effective in the roles that they have. Seeing chaplains get saved so officers can be reached. Trying to do what we can to reach as many people as possible. Jails. Trying to see prison ministries. Trying to see nursing homes. Trying to see all of these areas reached with the gospel. Do you believe it could happen? Is it something you can see? Now, Packer Stadium, that's a byproduct. That's not the goal. The goal is the glory of God. But wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if God had to give us the mall as a church building? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have training campuses? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a local church that started from here in every village and every little town all throughout this region of Wisconsin. This can happen. It can be a reality. This isn't just a dream. This is what Paul himself saw in two years. Now I understand for us, it may take a little bit longer, but maybe not much longer to see everyone take their role, to see, to do their job, to clean up their homes and to actively see God work. What role do you have as we start moving forward to train men and women for the ministry, as we start preparing to have a Bible institute and preparing people to follow after God? What role do you have in this? What part do you have? Maybe it's the idea that you still need to learn doctrine and need to be taught discipleship. You need to be in the evening school. Wonderful. That's a good place to be. You need to learn. It's never wasted time to prepare. Maybe saying, I need to be a student. I need to learn more. I need to have more ministry preparations. Maybe it's the idea that you need to be evangelizing more and helping us to reach more people, that you need to be discipling others. Maybe it's the idea that you clean your own house and have the spirit of God inside of you because you have a clean home, sanctified home and a sanctified life. And watch God do amazing things. What is it that you see in your mind's eye? Does this sound like something you'd be excited to be a part of? Does this sound like something that you would love to see God do? I've always had a desire not to be an ordinary preacher. What does that mean? Just someone who shows up on Sunday morning, say a little religious speech, and then send everyone home. I want to see God do amazing things. And I'm crazy enough to still believe that God can and that God will and that God wants to. Are you crazy enough to say, Lord, I want to do that too. I want to see God work. I want to see amazing things happen. Are you crazy enough to believe that God still can? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.